baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 1080, this is the Will Marotti Show. Your host, Will Marotti. Matt Sorois, our master of ceremony, anxiously awaiting your calls. 860-522-9842. You know, there's one thing about uh, the news and there's one thing about the, the medium of talk radio. There's never anything to, you can't run out of topics. There's always things to talk about. And I'm so glad that we have people locally who've been here and, and watching intently for many years who, who really understand what's happening here in the state. And of course, I'm talking about Chris Powell. Chris is a, uh, a, cur- a current columnist for the <clears throat> Journal Inquirer, uh, some other local state papers as well, and he's the, also the former, former managing editor of the Journal Inquirer. So every Tuesday, we, uh, we like to welcome Chris to the show. Chris, thank you for uh, coming back on. No, always fun to be with you, Will. So... I stumbled on this topic accidentally this morning. I accidentally, I hadn't planned on talking about it, but, but you know, it doesn't matter what interview, whether it's Luke Bronin on down. It doesn't matter who's doing the interview, who the person is, TV rate. Doesn't matter. I hear all of the the bemoaning about the economic woes of Hartford, but nobody ever talks about real estate. And the fact of the matter is, I I threw out earlier this morning. Said, oh, at least fifty percent of Hartford's real estate is in taxable. And I said, I better check that because in case I'm wrong. Well, I was wrong. It's fifty nine percent. Um, how does, how does that happen? I mean, I can see if it was Washington, D.C., all right? A lot of, obviously, property in Washington, D.C. is covered by, you know, government facility. But when you look at 59% either by not-for-profits and or the state, um, that's got to be difficult for anybody to make a budget work in that scenario, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is, but in another way, government has, has addressed this this issue for a long time. I mean, First, uh, you know, we have our payment in lieu of taxes program in Connecticut by which state government pays something uh, on all that uh, non-taxable uh, property in, in the cities. It's, now, the cities complain that, well, the state never fully funds the pilot formula, but it does provide some money there. More mm-hmm. importantly, uh, state government basically uh, reimburses about h- half the uh, the city budgets of uh, of all the uh, the bigger cities in Connecticut, through various aid programs, uh, you know, for education and and other things. Um, uh, thirdly, uh, does the city of Hartford really want the government and the the, uh, the colleges and and the churches and you know other nonprofit institutions to move out of town to the suburbs and take all their jobs with them? You know, I doubt that you know very much. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of hypocrisy in the cities uh, about this issue. Uh, for example, <laughs> I think a few years ago when uh, Tony Harp was mayor in, uh, in New Haven, I, mm-hmm. I, I found her lauding uh, Yale New Haven Hospital's takeover of previously tax-paying property mm-hmm. uh, for an expansion of the hospital. And there's the mayor saying, oh, this is great. This is going to you know, bring more jobs in New Haven. Well, it was also going to take property off the tax rolls. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is it, Mayor? I mean, do you, you know, do you want the tax from the uh, 
property under private ownership, or or do you want the jobs from the nonprofit uh, institution that's, sure. that's expanding? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the nonprofit institutions, including the government, bring thousands of jobs into uh, the cities, sure. and many of those jobs are filled by city residents. Um, and another thing that makes me, you know, not really worry about the issue too much. Uh, you may remember under Governor Malloy, uh, state government, in a swoop, uh, assumed uh, all of, uh, of of Hartford's bonded debt. It was basically a uh, reimbursement to uh, the city of Hartford for undertaking the uh, you know big expense of the uh, the, the, the baseball stadium mm-hmm. uh, when the city was on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. So yeah. you know here here's the city which really was technically bank bankrupt decides all right we're gonna. You're going to spend, you know, eighty million dollars or whatever it was on uh, on, on the stadium, uh, and uh, you know, then then they were on the verge of bankruptcy anyway. So what happened? Well, the Democratic administration decided, okay, we'll not only cover the stadium, we'll we'll take uh, we'll have the state government assume all of uh, of Hartford's bonded debt. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I don't think the uh, property tax exemption issue is really so big. The cities. The cities are rolling in money yeah, from, from, from the state. <laughs> I don't know. Just, not, not if you listen to them, they are. Well, of course, but you know, they're never going to say they, they, they have enough money. Uh, we spend you know, far more on education in the cities now than we do in, in, in many other towns. And, of course, the response to that is, well, you know, our students in the cities have, have, have greater needs. Uh, you know, that, that argument can you know, go on forever. My, my point is, is, is simply that, yes, the, uh, the cities you know, get cheated on uh, the taxes on properties, but they are very much rewarded by state government in other ways. I mean, don't you think, though, Chris, I mean, it, the, the pilot program you mentioned, it, it's not 100% reimbursement. It's, it's not even close to that. The value of the property, what they could be charged. Right? What if we just looked at state properties? How many state properties are sitting there that are half vacant or vacant or could be combined, repurposed? It seems like there's just a lot of property that the well, state... Well, actually, state government has consolidated some of its properties in Hartford in, in, in recent years. Um, but, you know, th- that's not going to help uh, the revenue to the city unless those properties are sold. And, you know, right now, office buildings in Hartford are not in great demand. No, uh, the, no, the, that's true. The, the, that's true. the mayor uh, the other day uh, noted that uh, there's a lot of uh, business consolidation in, in Hartford uh, office space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are working from home, and so the companies aren't calling them into uh, you know, office work as much. The, uh, Mayor Bronin had what I think is a, is a great idea, even if it's only uh, elementary. He, he thought maybe the policy direction in Hartford ought to be to try to uh, reconfigure some of these office buildings so that uh, while there's less office space being used, uh, you move some of that space into uh, into into shops, uh, markets on the first floor, and uh, then the housing on uh, <clears throat> the, the upper floors with sure. office space. Uh, makes in makes the use. Middle. That's super popular. In a lot of yeah, and yeah. you know that makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. I think you could you could have a much more vibrant area. With uh, that that, that uh, development plan, uh, you'd have people actually living downtown, and you'd you'd have uh, the the full potential for for a neighborhood if you could just get some, you know, supermarkets and and uh, you know household uh, domestic services in there. I mean, it's a chicken and the egg situation. You're sure. going to have trouble getting people living downtown well, if there right, aren't the, the uh, How do you get them to move downtown? 
I've seen well, I've seen it, communities. It, it, yeah, that's a struggle. You know, you're not going to move somewhere where you, you know you got to go ten miles to reach a supermarket, uh, and the supermarkets aren't going to move in unless they've got the residents living there. So right. it's it's you know a tough tough uh, coordination. But you know that's how cities used to be. Uh, you know, Hartford used to have a. Uh, uh, a lot of residency downtown, and you know the property got to redeveloped out of existence. Uh, one reason uh, New Haven's downtown is 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 still as vibrant as it is uh, is because with uh, Yale uh, mm-hmm. and other apartments above uh, above storefronts, uh, mm-hmm. you know there's, there's some people living there. There's a lot of commerce there. There's a there's a range of commerce there, and so you know New Haven still has a a pretty vibrant downtown. Well, I see that in other communities where they, they, they get the mixed-use thing seems to work, particularly when, when there is coll- a high population of college kids in the area. And that's exactly what they'll do. They'll, they'll put up, the, you know, there'll be a, you know, a 50,000-square-foot a building and 25,000 on the first floor is all, is all retail or office, and then everything else is upstairs is, uh, are the apartments. And I, and I see it work effectively. I see it where I, I travel Indiana a lot. I see it in Indianapolis. It's working pretty good. The, 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 that kind of mixed-use uh, construction is all over the place. But I don't know why people, more people don't take advantage of that. Yeah, well, you know, it, it makes it possible for people to uh, live in a place uh, without relying on the car all the time. You can you can walk or take a short bus ride uh, to just about everything you need. And if you could put some uh, schools close to the downtown, a range of, of schools, an elementary school, a middle school, uh, a high school, uh, then you've got a full functioning community there, at least in theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about some other uh, money issues. Uh, you wrote this last week. Uh, two uh, more management failures that cost the state another million dollars. Story about a uh, uh, plat, uh, a teacher at Platt Technical High School. What uh, what happened there? Oh, uh, Connecticut uh, Public, the broadcasting uh, system. Uh, reported that I guess a few years ago, a teacher at uh, Platt uh, Technical School in uh, uh, in Milford was uh, fired for uh, really baiting her minority students with uh, uh, abuse of racial stereotypes and, and nicknames, and and was fired. Uh, but she's just been restored to her job with uh, like a quarter million dollars in, in back pay because the state arbiter ruled. That uh, yeah, while she you know did this abusive stuff, the technical school system hardly ever fires anybody, so it can't fire her either. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is you know just another stupid consequence of of our labor rules and our binding arbitration uh, system and the state board of mediation and arbitration's uh, uh, favoritism toward uh, employees who engage in, in, in misconduct. So. So for you know pretty gross misconduct, uh, she's you know just gotten her her job back at uh, uh, I guess it's uh, almost a hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. and twenty two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in back pay for you know really being racist on the job um, and <laughs> the, the of course the uh, the political left which is ordinarily screaming at us about racism all sure. the time uh, provides a pass in this instance because government employees trump racism. <laughs> It's just it's not well, government employee that, unions Trump. Yeah, well, well, okay, but then, look, the, the, the unions I think are fully representative of their employees. Their employees know mm-hmm. when they're ripping off the government, sure. and most of them are sure. you know fully happy to do so because that's the kind of 
leadership that they 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 elect for their their unions, and that's the kind of laws they support uh, uh, in the general assembly. And then there's the case of uh, the president of uh, of Manchester Community College was was fired, I guess, a couple of years ago by the state board of uh, regents uh, for higher education in a a reorganization. And she uh, sued the board, uh, charging uh, uh, gender discrimination. And then, you know, suddenly, all of a sudden, she's uh, reinstated as an executive uh, with, uh, you know, damages totaling $775,000. And there's no explanation for this from the State Board of Regents for Higher Education. Well, was there really gender discrimination going on here? Uh, uh, and uh, who's responsible for this uh, this debacle here? You know, three-quarters of a million dollars in, 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 in the Manchester Community College case, another quarter million dollars in the Platt Technical High School case. There's no explanation for who screwed this up. You know, that's just another million dollars uh, that we have to pay because we can't manage our public institutions. And, you know, nobody gives us an explanation. Nobody takes accountability. Um, and this is typical of state government. Well, when you're sitting on surpluses because of co- federal COVID money, expediency is probably best with personnel problems. You know, it's really easy to... Well, yeah, look, you're right. When you know, it's it's nobody's money, and now it's even nobody's money to a greater extent because the federal government has been creating so much money and throwing it at us. Uh, you know, these things slip by. Oh well, it's just a million dollars. You know, who cares? But. Now my my big complaint is there's just no accountability for this stuff. I mean, uh, they, you know the the <clears throat> the racist incident in the technical school, the 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 state the state technical uh, school uh, system didn't know that you can't fire anybody because you've never fired anybody before. Uh, they didn't make an issue of that. Uh, uh, the board of regents for uh, higher education, uh, you know, didn't know that there was a gender discrimination problem here. Uh, you know who's in charge here? Who, nobody. Who the, the, nobody. That's the problem. The inmates are running the asylum. The, the correction. Well, somebody's in charge, but you know the yeah, but, the executives responsible here are, are are being protected. Yeah. Here's another story. This is something you and I spoke about months ago. In fact, you're the first person I saw write about it. That's what caught my eye. This is goes back to the uh, Enfield. Um, the eighth grade class in Enfield School, where um, we had the the pizza consent curriculum. And did you ever get an answer on that? Did anyone ever get back to you and say, this is how that happened and this is why we were teaching it? Did, how, did... Uh, the superintendent in Enfield is uh, still refusing to tell me or, you know, any other news organization that cares to ask exactly how this uh, abusive assignment got into the school system. The yeah. superintendent has said, oh, it was a mistake <clears throat> that uh, – there was a, a duplicate assignment involving uh, pizza and consent that was, did not have the sexual content, and that was supposed to have been used. My my question is, well, you know, how how did the you know sexually intrusive assignment get into the system? Uh, does the Enfield School system subscribe to some lesson service that provides this stuff? Uh, yeah. You know, how did it get into the system? Who who approves this? Uh, sexually explicit material uh, and uh, decides uh, that it's appropriate for middle schoolers. He will not answer that question. I filed, filed a uh, Freedom of Information complaint uh, uh, asking for access to all uh, documents uh, involving this assignment. Uh, they stalled me on that for, for months, and then uh, I filed the complaint, and then uh, this week, uh, I guess it was uh, 
yesterday, I guess I, I got a note from uh, the superintendent saying, oh, we don't have any documents uh, uh, you know, explaining how this got into the school system. So please withdraw your complaint. Well, I don't believe him. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm pretty. I, I suspect very strongly there were documents. They've been destroyed, uh, so that uh, you know this will not come out at a Freedom of Information Commission hearing. I hope uh, I'm given such a hearing, and uh, you know mm-hmm. we can pursue this further. But you know, I, I suspect if. Certainly, look, the Enfield School Board uh, affected to be very upset by this incident, but the Enfield School Board is not asking the question. Right. right, Uh, right. All they have to do is ask the superintendent at a a board meeting, how did this stuff get into the schools? Police yourselves, right? Well, the reason. I'm sure the school board has been told privately how how it got into the system and they're protecting somebody. The reason, um, Chris, that I bring this up now is because. You know, let, never let a good crisis go to waste. We, another story we talked about is a, a political action committee that was formed called Parents Against Stupid Stuff. Well, and, and this I'm getting this from C.T. Mirror. So the, 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 the founder of Parents Against Stupid Stuff commissioned a commercial to be made, and there's teen actors posing as Enfield Middle, middle School students reenacting the, sex, the pizza and consent sex uh, study, and they're using it now <laughs> as an attack ad on TV. <laughs> At least somebody's getting some good use out of this. So yeah, well, I I think the commercial's not completed yet, but you know, yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to any clamor that calls attention to uh, this this secrecy and unaccountability and. In the Enfield schools, it's it's really typical of, of, of many school systems generally. We should be able to uh, find out, uh, to be told officially by school officials, how did this material get into the school system. And the Enfield school system is desperately trying to conceal that information. Yeah, yeah. well, apparently the, uh, the now executive director, not the founder of that PAC, has contacted the school system. No answer. Can't get any answers. So, so they're going to run the commercial. I, I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> I want to see how they do with it. They, uh, um, they've hired a, a producer to do it, and they've got, you know, they got these, uh, uh, you know, actors that are teenage age kids and a student, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna use it. They're gonna use it against Lamont apparently. And look, the, the, I think the mirror story was saying, oh, well, Lamont can't do anything about this. Uh, that, that's incorrect. Uh, yeah, you know, the, every, the, the schools, the local schools answer to the State Board of Education here in Connecticut. The State Board of Education has just, uh, you know, undertaken an investigation into the Killingly school system's refusal to accept a grant for a mental health clinic at uh, yeah, Collingley yeah. High School. Yeah, well, if, if the State Board of Education can, you know, undertake an investigation for that, it could take an, uh, undertake an investigation into the, you know, pizza sex uh, lesson in the infield yeah. schools. Right. They, they so choose they... what they want to publicize. They choose what they want to investigate. And they don't want anybody looking into how that sexually explicit lesson got into the Enfield But there's, their silence is going to backfire because it's going to be all over TV in Connecticut come election season. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I want to see how they, how they make out with it. Uh, no pun intended. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for, uh, for uh, coming on today, as always. Uh, always a pleasure, and, and uh, keep up your good work. Thank you, sir. And thanks for letting me harangue you, Will. Take Bye. care. <laughs> all right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, last 30 of the Amen Choir list. we get back and, and more. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Or your calls, 860-522-9842, right here on the uh, Tuesday edition of the Will Marotti Show. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. I so appreciate uh, Chris Powell. I, I also want to say thanks. I'm going to give a final shout-out to the, the last third of the list. Not a record today, but very strong volume. Uh, well over 60 amens coming in today. Uh, Doug C., and I also want to say Doug C. just reminded me that back in the Governor Malloy's day, he joined a, a, New, a New England uh uh, energy coalition that mirrored uh, California law. So it may not be too far down the road before you'll be here in Connecticut. We'll also want to outlaw gasoline-powered cars by 2035, uh, the sale of gasoline-powered cars by 2035. I say we don't we don't have the energy to supply it. We don't, it, it we're, and people in Connecticut are not putting up with blackouts. I'll tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Go down the Gold Coast, see how happy they're going to be with having no power. So I, I just feel like it's 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 complete climate calamity. Doug C, uh, Amen list. Doug Founder. Doug C, Mary, Lori M, Rob K, Jack Willen G, Mary Ann L, Virginia W, Patricia W, Monica M, David C, Michael C, Terrence B. Sharik, Phil M, Perry R, Irene R, Dan D. Uh, that's the AIM Inquirer today. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to the calls. Let's go to Rudy in Florida. Florida, uh, Rudy, you're not having any heating problems this winter in Florida, are you? No, that's why you, you see, you're going to go to South Carolina and you're going to be not warm enough. I no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said my former church members are going to South Carolina. I didn't, I've not decided anywhere, anything yet, where we're going to relocate if it time ever comes. Well, your good friend Andy, Pastor Andy, his father retired this Charleston, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, North Carolina, South Carolina. I can't remember. One of those two he, he, he went to, sure. There's yeah. a lot of people Pastor from Connecticut Steve. that have moved there, but um, I'm telling you, yeah. There's I like eating. Florida. Don't get me wrong, but there's too many people. Nobody can move into Florida because there's too many people moving into Florida, to quote Yogi Berra. It, it's, it's starting to feel that way. I swear it is. And, and they're building housing like crazy. It's a, yeah. The economy is booming here. Everything, everything got more expensive, but um, there, there's <laughs> major issues with our oil supply. And I don't know, I sent you it. Uh, Richard Blumenthal was um, pandering yesterday saying he's going to yeah. ask Congress for emergency funding for the uh, Connecticut yeah. heating. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot what it's called. Unafam- oh, here it is. Let's read it. More Richard Blumenthal. Thank you. Heating and natural gas prices are surging. Many households can't afford it. That's why I've asked the, the emergency supplemental funding to, for low-income housing, uh, the LI HEAP program, to meet the skyrocketing costs of energy in Connecticut. Well, just dummy, open up the pipelines again. Let's start drilling, baby. Let's start fracking. Let's let's be the world leader in energy again like we were two and a half years ago. Let's cancel leases, the Democrats canceling leases, closing down pipelines, ending our energy independence, and then you're gonna you're gonna raise our deficit to get people that you put in pain, pain reliever. 
If you had just left our energy system alone, you wouldn't have to get funds, which is going to cause more inflation because I doubt that it's going to go up. So you could pay for the poor's heating bills this winter. So yeah, it, it, it's just a vicious cycle that's going around. It. They're just trying to collapse us. They're taking. They're just trying to put as much pain on the middle class that you could do. Yeah, this and, and, they're, and they're succeeding. They're succeeding. I mean, it's crazy what's going Dubenthal on. I mean, no, I, honestly, hmm? probably has enough of his own personal income to He's assist fine. that program. He's fine. Doesn't his family own the Empire State Building or something? That's, I mean, some crazy thing. His, his wife's family is a huge real estate family, I think, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. They all they all well, marry rich women. Look at um. They're all rich. Everybody John in Congress Gary. is rich. They're all John thinking. Gary's wife is bloated, and his right. Heinz fifty-seven. There you go. And he was a he was a Republican. Yeah, yeah. So Kerry's living off of Republican money that his wife inherited. I mean, same with John McCain. His wife um, owned the largest Budweiser distributor west of the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. You know what's so so ironic? They, everybody complains about the one percent, the evil one percent, right? There's more Democrats than the one percent. There are Republicans. Nobody talks about that though. Oh, the evil one percent. Bezos. I mean, they lost Elon Musk, but I don't know where yeah, you put Musk Elon is Musk. Gone. Yeah, he's he's off the reservation. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. say reservation. That's that's uh, Bill that's Gates, a, um, Zuckerberg. All, all these guys are in the top ten, and they combined. They all Democrats. Have, They're worse than like Democrats. To, yeah, and I'd like to know combined what part of U.S. wealth they hold. I got to oh, find enormous. this because I just found this thing for you. Um, it said the. Richest billionaire in every state, and it was a Forbes thing. Yeah. And Connecticut was Dalio, someone down Yeah, Ray, Ray Dalio, Dalio yeah, the investment guy, yeah. Yeah, and in Pennsylvania, I knew the guy in Pennsylvania, Jeff Yass, because he founded Susquehanna Investments. Yeah. And they used to have private parties in my steakhouse that I worked at. <laughs> and he's, But he's a libertarian. He He's on the board of Cato. Yeah, but I, I think it's, it's fact. I'm not just making it up. I think it's fact. The, the majority of people in the 1%. I don't know. I, I would say, you know, not a vast majority, but a majority of people in the 1% are Democrats. I'll get so, you an answer on that. I'll start right. looking at all those lists and uh, research and send it in. Thank you as always. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Let's go to uh, Summers and Richard. Hi, Richard. Hi. Just calling to uh, pick up a comment on the guest that you had relating to the current situation in Hartford. Yes. And you're talking to someone now who has lived through it. I've okay. lived in Hartford, myself and other doctors, lawyers, high-end employees of Cigna, the Aetna Insurance Company. Mm-hmm. We lived in Hartford. We lived in a community in an area called the historic Mark Twain District. Yeah. We rehabbed what they called row houses. Mm-hmm. We did that in spite of Hartford, Connecticut, not with their help, but in spite <laughs> wow. of Hartford, Connecticut. We renovated the houses, brought them back to the historical uh, place they were at when they were thriving. Um, Since then, have moved out, had Mm -hmm. to move out. You cannot live in the inner city of Hartford when it is predominantly a welfare city. The predominant population of that city is a particular, uh, two or three particular minority groups that rely heavily on government-substituted um, government entitlements. There is no way. Why would I want to go back to the Bushnell Towers 
leave the Bushnell Towers, drive down Main Street, take a left onto Farmington Avenue, and drive 45 minutes into West Harford to the stop and shop to get a quart of milk. Mm-hmm. Harford at one time had a thriving downtown where we were in the area of the historic Mark Twain district. We had shops, we had dry cleaners, we had uh, hair salons, we had drug stores, we had a stop and shop, we had ethnic uh, food specialties. Democrats came in and simultaneously and systematically dismantled that city. And now here it is, 20 years out of Hartford. History repeats itself. The cycle is starting over again. It is not going to change, not yeah. under the current uh, administration, not again when you have an infrastructure based solely on people that are totally reliant on government handouts. Yeah, yeah. No, I, Rich, I think, you, I think you hit the nail right in the head, Richard. I, I appreciate you calling, and, uh, you know, thank you for you, know, you guys working so hard at Hartford trying to trying to make a difference, trying to, trying to increase that. Well, the question is, if you allow me to ask a question, yeah. what – are we going to do about it? Uh, what, what recourse do we have? And to say vote. Can well, again, I, that's the only thing you can look at. But but voting doesn't work because 96% of incumbents gets reelected. We've been under majorly Democrat control in Connecticut for 50 years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know what the answer is because we, we don't seem to vote. And, and the people that need to vote a lot of times are the people that are the recipients of the largesse of the state. So. I don't know what the answer is, quite frankly. Well, uh, the answer is that Harford will continue to stay in this current state of purgatory until yeah. um, the regime, <laughs> until the government itself changes. That's yeah. watching over Harvard, Connecticut. Well, let's keep thinking, Richard. Maybe we'll come up with a maybe we can come up with a plan. But, um, let's have a great day. Yeah, keep on talking too. and praying. Talk thank, to you thank soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, let's take a quick break, then we're going to come back and finish up the calls, 860-522-9842. John, Jack, Barbara, you're all going to get a shot, I promise. I'm taking a break a little bit early just so we make sure we have enough time to get you guys all on uh, all on the call. Here on the uh, the Tuesday edition of the Will Marotti Show, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, uh, 1052. We're going to finish up with calls, 860-522-9842. Thanks, Matt. Great job today. Thanks to Amen Choir. You guys doing a great job. And uh, Chris Powell, as always, uh, appreciate appreciate talking with you. Always uh, always enlightening. All right, I'm going to go to who's holding the longest first, and I guess I would say in that case that would be uh, Jack in Newington. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, Will, Pastor Will. I'm sorry I didn't get into your show earlier today, but you were talking about energy sources yes, sir. and, uh, you know, solar energy, wind energy, which are true. They're not too reliable. But one thing that's been really smothered in Connecticut mm-hmm. they had back in the colonial days was hydropower, water power. Yeah, yeah. They had water wheels and stuff. Of course, they had shut down in the winter. But up in Canada, they have some rivers up there that they blocked up years ago in the 50s. And their Hydro-Quebec is the name of the uh, consortium. Yeah. We had the big snowstorm and blizzard in 73. Mm-hmm. All our power was out. But mm-hmm. the power we could get was coming from Hydro-Quebec. And I don't see why um, we couldn't, um, you know, put some good dams, environmentally sound dams, create fishing, you know, areas and lakes and so forth such as on the Farmington River. Mm-hmm. In Windsor, there's a place called Rainbow Dam. It's a park now. Mm-hmm. But that was built in 1885, and it supplied electricity for the new electric streetlights in Hartford. Wow. And then 
later on, I you're probably familiar with it. Stanley works in New Britain. Sure, yeah. They bought all their power from that dam. They bought the dam and the so forth and so on. And mm-hmm. later on, they built a fishway around it for the shad. And it's a tremendous, it's not ending unless, a, unless things really dry up bad. But I, like I, I think said, you're, I think it's a good idea, Jack. I think you struck on it, though. I think I think the hurdle for more hydro plants would be the environmentalists. I mean, it would take so long. I can see the studies that would have to be done about the the green spotted grass, or the yellow spotted grasshopper. I mean, it it is be insane the amount of studies you'd have to do for EPA satisfaction before you could pull something like that. It'd be probably almost as bad as nuclear plant. Trying to put well, a, a, a dam I, somewhere and just stop and control water flowage. I've been I've been barking about this for twenty years to different oddball people here and there, mm-hmm. but I really think it's being smothered by uh, EverSource now and uh, UI. Well, I, I think so too, but I, that's why I think hydrogen is the wave of the future, and 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 a lot of people aren't going to like hydrogen either for different reasons, but... Um, well, it's very, very, the, very dangerous. But certainly... But one more uh, thing. You yeah. can do tidal stuff on the Connecticut River yeah. without blocking the boats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's possibilities, and, and I think we should look at all of them, so I, I don't uh, I don't disagree. I just think it would be hard getting through the, the red I, tape. Jack, thank you for your call. Let's go to uh, Avon and Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Barbara, are you there? Going once, going twice. Don't see Barbara. Okay, let's go to uh, back to Hartford and John. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Go ahead, John. You're on. Hi. I'd just like to. My name's John. I'm a 25 year old. I'm from West Hartford. I moved to Hartford. I know I want to get into real estate. I have two two homes in Hartford in the same mm-hmm. area, the Mark Twain Historic District. Okay. That gentleman was just talking about. And as yep. a young person who's in Hartford, I, I listen to the show almost daily. I'm sick of these baby boomers calling up constantly, and all they have to say is just bash and bash and bash in the city. They all moved out of the city to Farmington Valley and so on, and that's fine. But what are you, all these people doing to help the city? I think these older generation folk who obviously have problems with the city, they're not really helping. They're just complaining about how bad it is. And it's really um, it's disappointing to the young folks in Hartford who mm-hmm. are trying to make it better and see opportunities for improvement. This is a, this is a great call. Let me ask you a question, John. As a as a real estate owner in Hartford and as a younger person, what what are the challenges that that you are facing Hartford in terms of of uh, you know bringing it back to the amazingly vibrant city that it was uh, years past? I'll give you three things off the bat. One, we don't we don't make use of the riverfront. We can do that. The riverfront needs to be utilized. Every big city has a riverfront. Two. Mm-hmm. I think people are getting very sick of big cities. All my friends after college, they all moved to Boston, New York, and they're all coming back right now. Mm-hmm. People are getting sick of big cities. Three, we don't have pro sports. The Yard Goats and the Hartford Athletics, huge step in the right direction. And obviously, 84 cuts the city in half. That's not yeah. helpful either. Yeah. But for, I just, it's not the uh, 90s, early 2000s Hartford that all these uh, baby boomers who moved out to the valley think it is. It really isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I used to, I can't tell you how many Hartford Whaler games I went to as a younger person and and loved every bit of it. And that's, of course, the last real, you know, professional, you know, big league team we've had there in Connecticut. There's always been talk about it. Why don't why don't we get that done? Why don't we bring a professional team to Connecticut? Well, uh, financial, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is a huge part of it. We have to rebuild the XL Center or the Civic Center. Um, 
we need to get the sky boxes in the middle tier and not up on the top tier. Um, you know, Bob Kraft definitely didn't help us. Yeah, right. That's yeah, for sure. that's we had a sure. chance with him, and it'd be great to get pro sports regardless. John, we'll I, I appreciate right your call so much, and I wish you'd call more often because I'd love to have I, this I'm conversation. I'm call more often because I listen almost every day. We need day. your I voice. We need, we need your voice and others like you to, to talk about these issues. So thank you Absolutely. so much for your call, and please, please call time. again. Really appreciate it. All right, and let's see, last call of the day. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Hartford, and uh, Sam, Sam, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Thank you. Good. Um, listen, I have to say I agree totally with John, the last caller. Um, and one thing about the court previous to him, the doctor lives in Bushnell Towers, and I used to live in Bushnell Towers. Mm-hmm. I actually live in Bushnell Towers, and it doesn't take me 45 minutes to drive to stop and shop in West Hartford. There's okay. no way. Mm-hmm. Not even not even on the worst traffic day it takes us forty five minutes to drive to stop and shop in West Hartford. Okay. Um that's one. Which he actually knows, I'm sure that he knows this is true. And then two, Pastor Wells. When you call uh current president Biden a dummy and you said that open up a pipeline, I'm not sure, I wasn't sure if if, if you were actually referring to referring to the Keystone pipeline, but that pipeline it wasn't it wasn't producing uh, any oil. No, I know it wasn't finished yet. Not anything. So you're calling yeah. him a dummy. And you're no, I was. I wasn't referring when I said pipeline, pipeline, Sam. It was more of a more of a generic, you know, drill oil, natural gas fracking. It was yeah. just kind of a, said, a general term. You also said let's open back up. The pipeline, that pipeline wasn't actually producing anything. Again, listen to me, Sam. I wasn't talking about a physical pipeline like Keystone. It was a generic term that I was saying we were the, the net we were net exporting oil and natural gas. Those are resources that we can do. It was a generic term to let's get us back to energy independence. But thank you for your call. I'm out of time, guys. Thank you so much. Great show today, Matt, Chris Powell, Amen Choir. Thank you so much. Enjoy your afternoon. Love you guys. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.